What is up, everybody? Welcome to Marvel Standom, and we have something very different in store for you this week. We are talking about the very first Marvel movie, Howard the Duck. Not Iron Man 2008. Not one of those weird Spider-Man TV movies that you've heard of from the 1970s. 1986's Howard the Duck, which is celebrating its 35th anniversary this month. So, Kirsten, why don't you tell us all about this? Well, in the live-action Howard the Duck film, the beloved Marvel comic book character is beamed to Earth from the planet Duckworld and ends up in Cleveland, where he meets rock singer Beverly and eventually attempts to return home with disastrous results. Yes, the 1986 movie, which bombed super hard, is technically the first Marvel movie. That's succinct and does not capture the full strangeness of this George Lucas production. Uh, fortunately, we have uh, Cleveland native Alec Bajalid here to talk about the film's accuracy. Um, you know, usually, you know, there's, there's, there's long been a trend on the internet where it's like, you know, person who has never seen Star Wars watches Star Wars for the first time and reacts. And I, maybe this is just me being old. I've never really understood that. But I feel particularly blessed that Kirsten and I are big fans of this movie, but Katie Bird and Alec Bajalid have never seen it before. So I feel like we should start with the youngsters here uh, who just had their first exposure to, to Howard and Friends. What, what did you think? Katie? Well, I'm, I'm a changed human, for sure. I feel like I didn't know what to expect going into this, but I also don't know if there was any way to be prepared for it. It's not like something like a Star Wars or a Harry Potter where if you haven't seen it, you've picked up a lot of like the culture around it in the in the water uh i don't i yeah it was it was an interesting experience it wasn't like anything else i've ever seen which i think is a valuable experience to me but it was also horrific at points <laughs> yeah they really don't make them like this anymore like movies are not like they're not enough like half remembered fever dream movies anymore uh, i just can't imagine like in 2050 when they're doing when our grandchildren or children are doing Marvel standum. I just can't imagine what like 2010s movie they're going to be talking about, like Howard the Duck. I knew the other Marvel movies, like the modern Mar Marvel movies, were like very impressively done and very impressively balanced in terms of t terms of tone. Um, but watching this movie just made me appreciate that even more, like how well they did on Iron Man and After. I'm just like, well done, Marvel. It could have gone in a different direction. <laughs> Any movie that's weird, like, you kind of get used to its weirdness at a certain point. But the first five minutes of this movie are among the strangest things I have ever seen. Um, when he's in Duck World, like, <laughs> like it, the movie opens with, like, Two Moons in Duck World, the name, like, produced by George Lucas. And then it doesn't get any less strange than that after that. <laughs> yeah, the first half of the movie, I think, was, like, much stranger to me. And then the second half felt, like, more... It felt like it was better and also less interesting in the sense that it kind of turned into a more classic, like, 80s sci-fi adventure movie, albeit starring a duck. But yeah, the first half I liked less and was engaged with more, I think, if that makes sense. Yeah, the second half is like Mac and Me or like E.T. or something. It's like, you know, like a copy of a copy? Like, if Mac and Me is a copy of E.T., then this is a copy of a copy of a copy. So it's all distorted and weird. 
I'm just glad that you don't seem overly traumatized by it. Uh, Kirsten, you are uh, a connoisseur of uh, of strangeness, um, <laughs> and you share and you share my my odd love for this movie. Um, do you want to do you want to you want to come to Howard's defense for a moment? Um. I don't know about come to his defense, but I do have, you know, a punch on or whatever for those 80s movies that they spent millions and millions of dollars on and just failed epically, like the sort of Mac and Me's and the Howard the Ducks of that era. I just find them like endlessly fascinating because this isn't the kind of movie you see now. In fact, it's it's arguable like who is this even for like when we first meet howard in the movie he's flipping through porn he's smoking you know there's a a very memorable pair of uh well there's a naked duck woman in bathing and she's topless like this isn't a movie for kids but it's not really a movie for adults and i think there were a ton of those in the 80s and so i i, I always enjoy re-watching them I googled the rating for this and was so surprised that it was PG. <laughs> that is like the 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 80s PG is is harder than a 2021 PG-13 in most cases. <laughs> and look, like many summer blockbusters of its era, you know, things were either like like a slight left turn from E.T. or a slight left turn from Star Wars or a slight left turn from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And Howard the Duck is kind of trying to be all of those things at once. And as somebody who was alive in 1986, I am terribly old, uh, I can confirm that this movie was indeed marketed towards children. Like, like there, was, <laughs> there was no doubt that I was the target market for this movie and I was hyped. Like, I didn't know what Howard the Duck was. I just knew it was a wacky title, that the film's logo was, you know, was, was done in like the Raiders of the Lost Ark style, which, you know, itself was kind of adapted from the original comic book logo. Just the idea that something called Howard the Duck would be presented so, like, ostentatiously, so seriously. I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. Like, this has to be good. You know, and it's from George Lucas, so there's no way it could possibly be bad. Needless to say, I was disappointed um, when the movie was so bad that it didn't even play in theaters long enough for my parents to take me to see it in theaters. Um, I had to make do with, there was a novelization of the movie written by one of the editors of National Lampoon magazine, which I was way too young to be reading and is like filthier and weirder and more subversive than the movie. Is um, it better? And, yes. Like <laughs> it absolutely I mean, you know, better is subjective. Like there's so a lot there's of room the, there. And that was like but that was like going hand in hand with like with like Howard the Duck like candy heads and stuff like that. Nineteen eighty six was a weird summer, folks. That's all I can say. <laughs> Not to get too heavy with it, but like this movie is really indicative of our changing social mores <laughs> because like in like the in, like Avengers Endgame, uh, Thanos literally decapitates a guy. Uh, well, not a guy, you know, Mad Titan, whatever. I can't imagine anybody getting beheaded in Howard the Duck, but instead of beheadings, we get what is quite simply the horniest Marvel movie of all 
time. Which, to be fair, is, is not a very competitive category, which multiple yeah. think pieces have been written about, about, like, how sexless, like, the modern Marvel cinematic universe is. So you're right. That is something that is very jarring within also the Marvel context. I did look up how ducks made, oh, no. and it is horrifying. Alec really needed to share this information with someone. I know. <laughs> this could be a cut, but this is just for you. <laughs> that's, that's it for, for today's episode of Rule 34 Stand-Up, everybody. We will be back next week unless we all got fired. Thank you very much. Yep. I was Mike Cicchini. Uh... <laughs> One of my favorite lines for how absurd it was, and it says so much about her character, is when Howard asks her what planet they're on, and she says, The planet's called Earth. I think. <laughs> I was like, what is this line? What are we what are we learning about Beth here? She thinks they're on Earth? Like and at that point I was confused because the and maybe Alec can talk more about this, but in the first half, especially the first, like when Howard first arrives in Cleveland, I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be our Cleveland or like some sort of dystopian, like future Cleveland, because it was so dark and the punks were so angry. Um, and then I, I learned eventually that I think it is supposed to be our Earth. So, Alec, I don't no, know if you have any like insight. Like. Yeah. Is this, yeah. is this what Cleveland's actually like? Yeah, we're constantly under attack by S&M biker games <laughs> called Satan Sluts. But it seems to be like every bully or like every like kind of like hoodlum in the 80s movie is the most terrifyingly like amoral creature on the planet. Mm-hmm. Every single biker in an 80s movie or just like every single unnamed male character has is capable of murder at the drop of a hat. Yeah. They were a go-to antagonist in the 80s. Like you had Weird Science that had the the grody biker gang, the sort of S&M type thing and even you know, like Bill Paxton in Terminator or whatever. <laughs> like they were they were they were a fallback option I think for most antagonists. This is a year before Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop, but there are like elements of similar 80s obsessions in this movie with like, you know, the urban dystopia, the idea that like, like cities are these like crime riddled hellscapes full of like mohawked, you know, mohawked punks. This was like 80s shorthand, you know, like Reagan era shorthand. And now here we are 35 years later and we know that actually the bad guys all wear suits. So... You know, um, and at least RoboCop got that part right. But, you know, again, I think this is a matter of of Howard the Duck, like both trying to be, uh, you know, trying to play for a mature audience with these guys like threatening to rape Beverly in like the first, you know, the first scene she's in, but then also playing it so broadly like it's for kids. So who knows? But if you go back to when we first meet Howard in his solo comics, you know, he's contemplating the best way to commit suicide. And at the same time, you have all this comic book sort of pal, you know, (laughs) fighting between, you know, crazy characters from different parts of the Marvel Universe. Um, So it it was very satirical, but it, it kind of jarred with the other stuff that was going on does Howard the Duck have any powers in the comics? No. Because <laughs> that was the other thing. I was like, why is Howard the Duck, like, the per- like why is he able to be of help? 
I feel like this is mentioned in some some place that he like has has some sort of like martial arts training. No one laughs at a master of quack foo. It was interesting because I thought a lot about the first Thor movie when I was watching Howard the Duck because I think in some ways they do they're doing similar things. Um, you know, it's like a fish out of water, like alien person comes to our earth. There's a romantic plot line that doesn't really work and he has to save people. But Thor, it's like you understand why he's able to actually like help even though he has no idea what's going on. Um, and especially in the first half of Howard the Duck, I was like, I don't know about this, guys. <laughs> he's so small. Well... I mean, this this kind of goes back to how different now this movie was from the comic. Like, the reason the comic was popular was not because Howard the Duck was some heroic figure. Like, just like when we talked about the logo of this movie and, like, just the the contrast between, you know, the banality of the name and the ridiculousness of the name and then the kind of grandiose nature of presenting a name and a title like that. I mean, that's that's how it is in the comics. Like, he really is just kind of a cynical, depressed, every duck character who is who is trapped in, you know, who is trapped here, has no idea why, you know, why he's here or if he'll ever get home. And it's really just him and Beverly kind of blundering from adventure to adventure. And the comic was like really satirical you know like whatever satirical elements were intended for this movie like they either they either completely blunted the edges of or they just or or they just missed the point of completely whereas the comics are very much like okay it's like this issue we're we're like riffing on like horror tropes and this issue we're actually making fun of superhero comic fans the matter of howard's uh, mastery of quack foo is dealt with in in an in an issue that is kind of satirizing the the mid-70s obsession with kung fu movies. This was really just Steve Gerber making fun of the comics industry, making fun of the entertainment industry, making fun of politics. And it was like a really popular comic for those reasons, not because this was ever supposed to be... I mean, I guess like the closest thing I can think of is like, you look at Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is not like a particularly heroic guy. He's a fortune hunter but he's capable and does heroic things. Howard doesn't even have that, you know? Like, Howard really is just like, a, oh, God, this again kind of character. Well, this movie only got made because George Lucas was obsessed with Howard the Duck. It's not entirely clear what he was obsessed with because this is so different from the comics. But uh, he was in a position of leverage where he was coming off the back of Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and he basically bullied Universal into spending almost $40 million on this um, experiment, basically, using a couple of his friends from film school who he'd been, you know, sort of doing stuff with since American Graffiti. And it was a kind of Roger Corman-esque approach to let's get it done. But I think a lot of people involved with the production have since said that you know they did not know what the hell was going on and they knew it was going to be a massive flop yeah and originally it was conceived as an animated film correct which i just makes me want think about like other movies that were animated that if they had just been like okay we're going to make this live action because those mediums have like such different strengths and weaknesses We'll say for what it's worth in the back half i kind of liked howard mm, I, I agree mean, the movie is so strange and in the first half, he's just like nothing but puns. 
But it's hard not to empathize with a little anthropomorphic duck who just, like, is doing her own stuff. He's definitely more likable in the film than he is in the comics. Like, he's just rude and unpleasant and never really gets more likable as you're reading along. The more recent comics that Chip Zdarsky has done have put um, more of a fun spin on Howard. But he was, he was cranky and horrible. He was the case kind of person that if he was a human, you would say, oh, they're okay, you know, in small doses. Like, you wouldn't want to hang out with them for too long. So at least the film is successful in making him a likable character. I like when he calls Tim Robbins' character Filzy. <laughs> I mean, Leah Thompson's having fun. Her character is nonsense, but, like, she's cool. Yeah. It's just like, fun to watch do stuff. And then uh, Jeffrey Jones, Ferris Bueller's Day Off's Jeffrey Jones. Ferris Bueller's Day Off's in prisons. Jeffrey Jones <laughs> doing a nice <laughs> villainous performance yeah i think this movie gets better when the dark overlord shows up Mm. real shades of um vincent d'onofrio that's exactly what i thought as well (laughs) there is like the makeup on jeffrey jones during the dark overlord's transformation is great i think all of the vfx when he's like shooting lasers out of his eyes and stuff like that's just great 80s effects work and then the Dark Overlords themselves in their actual form are terrifying, nauseating creations. Like, those things are awesome. And, like, if you would tell somebody, it's like, oh, yeah, so you know the Alien Queen in, like, the Alien franchise? Like, these are, like, the Alien, you know, uncles or something. I don't know. Like, like I would buy it. Like, they're these horrible crab-scorpion hybrid things that, like, I... I don't know if, like, again, it took me a year before I finally saw this. I didn't see this until it was released on VHS. Like, if it's entirely possible that if I was a year younger, it would have been it would have been enough to traumatize me. I mean, I'm 31 years old. I'm traumatized. What about Howard the Duck himself, Alec Katie? Did you were you able to suspend your disbelief with the the costume or? I was willing to go on that journey and suspend my disbelief, but I think the movie was not willing to get past that joke that he's a duck in a man's world. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm ready. Let's move on. But they're like, no, that is the joke that we're going to keep making for the entire movie. It actually wasn't that distracting to me, but, you know, I watch a lot of Farscape. And I would like to say that the Henson puppets are are much better than this, but I, I have a lot of practice in this area. I've seen this movie a bunch of times and I rewatched it uh, for this show. And one thing I did notice that was I'd never noticed before was that Howard the Duck looks almost exactly like Home Alone era Macaulay Culkin. Now, I th- okay, um, yes, 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 okay. It's not just me. Maybe yes. we can get a side by side going here because no, I thought that as well. Right, especially when he's kind of mouth breathing a little. It. It's really yeah. uncanny. Oh my god. I'm never going to be able to unsee that. Now. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. You know, the thing about this suit is uh even as a kid it was not super convincing for me. And then like when you think about what the Jim Henson Creature Shop was able to do just a few years later with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, which are incredible and really awesome and convincing suits, like the fact that the fact that Industrial Light and Magic wasn't able to come up with a convincing duck suit for this is kind of disappointing. And they knew. 
the in the lead up to the release of this movie, they wouldn't show Howard. Like Howard was never like in full frame in in the marketing for this movie. It was always like, you know, Howard from behind in a chair, you know what I mean? Like reading a magazine. Like it was all of these things to kind of like hide the and it's like, oh wow, they're really like they really want to give us something here. They're waiting to they're waiting to reveal this. And it's like, no, they they were not. Like they knew what they were hiding. Perhaps the biggest thing that ended up kind of hamstringing this movie is that duck suit cost them the biggest star that would have been associated with it. Robin Williams was going to voice Howard the Duck. The problem was they didn't hire Robin Williams until after they had shot the movie. So all of Howard's lines on set were just like being delivered by the puppeteers who had to, who had to like work the animatronic bill. And so then whoever came in to do the voice was going to have to match their delivery to whatever had already been filmed on set. Now, just for a point of comparison, when Robin Williams did Aladdin, they're like, okay, you do your thing, and then we're going to animate the genie around around you. That was not an option with, you know, with, with a person in a duck suit with an animatronic head. So Robin Williams did like, I don't know, like three days a week of trying to do dialogue for this movie and ended up storming off the film being like, I can't do this. Like, this is completely ridiculous. You know, this is a guy who loves to improvise, who came from the stand-up comedy scene and just basically robbed, you know, Howard of some additional personality ticks that we probably could have gotten from him. It's never going to surface, I'm sure. But the idea that somewhere in a vault at Universal Pictures, there might be audio of Robin Williams doing Howard the Duck's voice is just totally bonkers to me. Maybe Kirsty or Mike has more insight into this, but um, following this as a box office bomb, in addition to things like George Lucas going through a divorce during this time period, he sold the um, computer like graphics division of Lucasfilm to Steve Jobs, and it would later become Pixar. Um, so that's kind of an interesting... Um, yeah, like side fact that I also think like learning about this movie, it just makes you realize how few people have so much power in Hollywood, especially maybe during this era where it's like a few people can be like, yeah, we want to do this. This is a good idea. And a movie like this will be made. <laughs> this movie is one of the early films to kind of bring the idea of a multiverse to a mainstream audience. So it beat Loki to the punch by 35 years. And I would like to think now that thanks to the finale of Loki, that Howard the Duck is technically part of the MCU. Not the Seth Green-voiced Howard the Duck that we've seen in actual MCU movies, but just the fact that this movie in particular is now somehow MCU canon thanks to the branches off from the sacred timeline that we saw at the end of, uh, at the end of Loki. Yeah, one of the best parts of this of this movie is, especially in the first half, is this cosmos-like introduction of something like the multiverse. Um, that really took me by surprise watching Howard the Duck with little context into, yeah, into what it would be, especially in the context of modern Marvel. Do the Dark Art Overlords have a Marvel Comics comparison? Because it's a fairly generic name. Like, when they came down, it's like, who are you? I am a Dark Overlord. Okay, well. <laughs> uh, I think so, but it was more... Uh, 
like the the whole like nexus of Sominus thing like i think these were just like throwaway things right. from the comics like it's absolutely nothing like anything that appeared like there were um names kind of like that in some of the earliest Howard comics. These are not like big villains from the comics. It's not like Howard has these arch enemies, you know. The ones that he has are way weirder. They're like a bell-headed guy named Dr. Bong, you know. So this is this was kind of like, hey, what is going to work really well with um you know with, with with ILM and Lucasfilm sensibilities. I will say I think the person having the most fun in this movie is whoever did the props. Oh, yes. Particularly in that first five minutes. Oh, he's basically watching Interdimensional Cable from Rick and Morty, and it's, I'm crazy webby, and my prices are insane. There's some sort of silent era of movie, duck movie star named Ricky Pate. Hey, hey, Ricky Pate, back with you again for lots more dance frenzy excitement. Which I thought was kind of in poor taste, considering what it takes to get Pate. <laughs> I also love this trope. In the sense that it's like, who has this many pictures of themselves, like, in their own apartment? And maybe that's just a character trait, but it feels like we're going to introduce this character through the props in their apartment. And that means that there are just pictures of themselves, mostly, in their own apartment. There's that great pic of Howard as a hippie in a field of marijuana, like, giving the peace (laughs) sign. Um, It's like, okay, like... Right on, dude. Whoever designed the Playduck magazine with the functioning uh, centerfold that we get a really good lingering look at uh, was an you know early adopter of uh, furry culture and, and uh, a predictor of Rule 34, I feel. I don't know whether you guys noticed, but there was also a uh, Indiana Jones poster, frame poster in Howard's apartment. It's like the duck version. So there's a lot of nice touches, especially in those first few minutes. Yeah. Who is this movie for? It's for George Lucas and his friends who are making the movie. (laughs) A very small demographic. And possibly my favorite Easter egg in the movie is the Misfits sticker on Beverly's guitar case. Like, I just like that, you know, they gave Bev some some solid taste for this. Christy and Mike, I want to hear about some of the explicit Howard the Duck Easter eggs that have been in the MCU, like the modern MCU, because as someone who did not really care about Howard the Duck while watching all of these modern movies, when has that been relevant for for super fans of Howard the Duck? Just the fact that they would put Howard the Duck in these movies felt like a victory for anybody that remembered this movie or has read the comics. And, you know, again, the original Howard comics by, you know, which were written by Steve Gerber, were very much a product of kind of like the post-Watergate 1970s, you know, post-Vietnam, post-Watergate 1970s era. Steve Gerber is one of the great cautionary tales in comics history about work-for-hire agreements where, like Jack Kirby and like Steve Ditko, he was somebody who realized that all of the work that he had done for this massive company was just going to be taken away from him and ultimately he wasn't going to get anything for it. And... He sued Marvel. Like, when, when he found out that Marvel wanted to use Howard for, like, movie and TV stuff in the early 80s, he tried to take them to court, and he failed. So, like, you know, the fact that this character is enduring now, and, you know, Gerber left this plane of existence a few years ago, uh, you know, the, the fact that this character has managed to endure, and I'd like to imagine that hopefully the Gerber estate got a few bucks for that, for those appearances... Like, Howard has always represented the underdog, 
both the character himself and the struggles of his creator. So seeing him on screen just feels like a little bit of a win. Wasn't there going to be a Howard the Duck uh, TV show um, on, was it Hulu? Yeah, Kevin Smith was supposed to be behind that Howard show. And I feel like Smith's sensibilities would have been really good for a Howard animated series. Uh, you know, I, I would have to imagine that Seth Green, who, who's been voicing Howard uh, on the big screen in the MCU, probably would have returned to that. He's somebody whose sense of humor is also appropriate for kind of modern day Howard tales. If Marvel didn't want that to happen as they were kind of collapsing Marvel TV so that they could get all their Disney Plus ducks in a row. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry. It just it just came out. Uh, but if if that, you know, if that was the case, whenever whenever something like that happens with Marvel Studios, it means that Kevin Feige is like, no, I want this for my toy box, you know? So we're not done with Howard the Duck in the MCU. Speaking of Seth Green, his animation studio worked on uh, MODOK for Hulu, and that was supposed to be in the same universe as Howard the Duck. It was supposed right. to be Howard, MODOK, um, Hitmonkey. Is that a thing? That's yeah. the only thing? Um, and then a couple other things, and they were going to all have their own shared universe similar to uh, Netflix's folks, Daredevil and all them. It was the Offenders. Yeah, it's a shame that we didn't get to see most of that stuff. Um, you know, as much as I'm loving the Disney Plus shows, you know, I I like the idea that smaller projects can be used to explore weirder corners of the Marvel Universe with, like, you know, lower stakes. But it seems right now that the MCU is just, like, so dedicated to the major things that they're setting up with, like, the Thunderbolts and the Young Avengers and the multiverse and everything else that, like... They kind of don't have time for this stuff. And that's like, that's a shame. You know, what, what are everybody's final thoughts on Howard? Because this is such a weird thing. Would you ever watch this again, Katie and Alec? I mean, Kirsten, I know that you and I are weird and we'll watch this like like once a year probably. But what are the, what do the rest of you feel about this? I think it's a terrible movie. Um, I'm never going to watch it again. However, I do think it, it. I do think there are some admirable aspects about it. Uh, I was I, I was kind of charmed by the DIY eighties ness of it all. I would like to see more practical effects effects and actual sets in our movies now. Leah Thompson is very charming, and they got Cleveland in there, so like I can't be too mad. Uh, it's objectively awful. No one should ever watch it, but it is I think a worthwhile contribution to the film canon. I don't have any plans on ever watching this movie again, but I'm glad to have had an excuse to watch it. Um, it made me think about a lot of other movies that do elements of what they're trying to do so much better. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm glad to have watched it. <laughs> I don't know whether I can come to Howard the Duck's defense, but I do think, <laughs> I do think that it, there are lots of things to love about it and I think that you will get a kick out of it if you haven't yet decided to watch Howard the Duck. I'm, I will come to his defense in that way and say you should definitely give it a go because it is a really interesting point in Marvel history, um, regardless of how badly it failed and its problems. So we asked Den Geek readers what they think about Howard the Duck and here's what they told us.
want to hear from you. Tell us what weird underdog Marvel characters you think deserve to be part of the MCU. Shout us out on Twitter. We're at Marvel Standom. We're also at Den of Geek. We're also at Den of Geek US. You can even drop us an email. We're Marvel Standom at denofgeek.com. So let us know, and we'll see if we can feature you on a future episode of Marvel Standom. If Howard can get his own movie, then by all means, Squirrel Girl should get one. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We will be back soon with more crazy takes on all elements of the MCU multiverse. Thanks for watching. I would give anything to run my fingers through his feathers. George Lucas presents an electrifying new comedy, Howard the Duck. More adventure than humanly possible.